Don't let anyone rob you of your imagination, your creativity, or your curiosity. It's your place in the world. It's your life. Go on and do all you can with it and make it the life you want to live. That is a quote by Mae Jemison. Welcome to Trina Talk. Trina Talk is a weekly podcast that will inspire and empower women of all ages to strive for the impossible. Your host, Trina L. Martin from TrinaMartin.com is a motivational speaker, leader, and cybertech expert. Every week, Trina will share wisdom gained from her life experiences and lessons learned while pursuing her goals to inspire you to achieve the next level in your life. Now, your host, Trina L. Martin. Hello, welcome to Trina Talk. I am your host, Trina L. Martin, and this is episode 15. This week's topic is realizing the value of women of color in STEM. My guest this week is Michelle Hayward. Michelle is the founder and CEO of Positive Hire, a tech company engineered to bridge the gap between enterprises and women of color. Michelle's vision is not only to help women of color find inclusive workplaces, but to prepare the enterprises to receive them and to help those enterprises recruit them. My talk today with Michelle was very informative, and I think you will gain a lot of knowledge and think about things a little differently than you have been after hearing what Michelle has to say. Hi, Michelle. Welcome to Trina Talk. I'm glad you're here with me today. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you. Well, let's start out. You are a woman of color in STEM. You are the founder of Positive Hire. And by profession, you're a civil engineer. So just sum all that up and tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, I blame my mother. I'll start there. So she's the reason I became an engineer um, growing up in rural South Carolina, she saw an opportunity for me to learn more about engineering. And from there, I did a couple summer programs and then ended up in college at Clemson, uh, who are now the national football champions. <laughs> but um, I blame it on her. So um, I decided on civil because I really was gravitated and able to actually see what, you know, how you could directly impact people through buildings and bridges. And I ended up in the energy sector for over a decade, building transmission lines and fossil fuel plants. And that was definitely a different experience. And in that entire time, I was the only woman of color. And I came out of corporate um, with the understanding that what I had achieved, a lot of my classmates hadn't, and those that even had gone even further in their careers to be VPs and directors, there were very few of us. And more of us had even left left the left their engineering jobs, their STEM um, profession overall, because their career got stagnant. There was no advancement for them. And that's when I came up with positive hire. There's always um, the reason that so many employers say they can't find women of color STEM professionals because there's a pipeline issue. There isn't a pipeline issue. There's a, a culture issue. And the culture pushes us out of the pipeline. So then of course you have lower flow if you aren't if you aren't addressing the issues internal to make the culture that is um, welcoming to diverse employees. So that's what positive hire focuses on. It focuses on helping experienced women of color, STEM professionals with their career advancement with employers who value what they bring. Okay. That sounds great. Um, so how exactly do you do that? Do you have certain companies that you're working with? Um, tell me, how do you go about actually bridging that gap? Because I think that's what on your website, you say you bridge the gap between the women of color and the employer's Tell me exactly what's your process for that. Well, for first, what I do is I look for employers who are seeking to 
solve a problem they have, which is diversity and inclusion. And they have admitted that, right? But they also understand that part of that is having women of color, not only in middle management, but in upper management. So I work with those employers to say, hey, these are candidates that would be great for you, but where are you lacking, right? Are you in a place where it's going to be very difficult for women of color to get their hair done, to buy certain types of food, to buy their traditional clothing? I said, these are things you may find that are larger than what you're able to do and, and you know, put, potentially give them solutions to still being able to hire them but also to retain them. Then on the other side is the women of color saying, hey, we have these employers who have job opportunities. What do you think about them? And really having open discussions about where the job is located, um, what are the opportunities they're looking for to see if it's a match. And sometimes we as women, we get caught up in our job description as opposed to what we actually do. A lot of us who've been at an employer 10 years We may never have a management role, but the duties we have are all management duties, right? So many women of color will tell you, they have told, well, you don't have the qualifications for the position, but they will train the man who is given the position. So how can I have the knowledge, but not have what it takes to do the job? So it, it really takes some coaching, which I do already to help those women understand, don't go by the job title. Go by the job duties, go what you have already accomplished, and especially if you can find the numbers to validate what you've already accomplished. So that's that's really how we help bridge that. Also, on the other side of the women of color, STEM professionals, we take in their work experience. So what others don't do is or understand is women of color have what's called intersectionality. Our gender and our race can make people act differently towards us. And it's those biases that we don't, that aren't collected specifically for an employer in specific locations. For example, everybody's heard about Facebook and how Facebook is a horrible place to work. But if you talk to people in Silicon Valley, they will probably tell you that opposed to those who work in Facebook in New York City. You may hear women of color say, I had a great experience working there. What's the difference between the two? And we really have to say sometimes it's by location as opposed to overall company, um, overall company, global company. But nobody's really talking about that and really helping employers understand you have an issue in this location, this department. And this these are some things you can really do because they're just getting an overall blame wherein it could really be one or two locations. Oh, wow. That's very interesting and um, something you touched on about women in STEM that can't get management positions and yet they're doing the um, duties of a manager. It's funny because I have a STEM background as well. And my last employer was working for a big power company. And several times I tried to get a management position and it was the, oh, no, you're not qualified. But yet the duties I had were major. Basically, I had, I ran a big piece of the power company and it was funny because I was the solo because I was a programmer and I was the one analyst programmer on this main system and many times I said you know what I I need some help this is a big lift and they were like oh we don't have anybody to help you start so I was doing the duties of multiple people being one and it was funny because when I finally left that job I had co-workers say that whoever took over said I can't do this by myself which was a male. And then they got that male, some help. They listened to that male and got them help. But yet when I was doing it, I was holding down and run, you know, running a whole system. So it's funny how that works for us that way. But yet you can be a male and it's a totally different mindset that people have. Exactly. Exactly. So with your company, are you global? Do you just work with employers in a certain region? Where Where are you based at and how, where are your um, companies located? I'm based in South Carolina, but we work um, only in the U.S. at this point in time. And that really is because we see the 
the U.S. usually is one of the locations or one of the countries that starts a movement or a change that's going on, and then it spreads globally. But I think for us as women of color in STEM and with the reach of social media, the U.S. is a really great place to, to be. There are other companies globally that are doing the same work. And it's great to see each other doing well and reach out and really share best practices. But also because I understand the culture of the U.S. It's not as though this can't be done someplace else, but it's also learning the culture of other countries and how they function in it and they operate, which takes some time. Now, with your profession and what you do, do you see the women in color and STEM having an easier time internationally at, at companies out of the U.S.? Or do you even look at those statistics? Um, it, it depends on the country. Like Canada and a good bit of Europe, they are about the same as the U.S. When you go further, they're, they're and, I, and I would say um, probably Australia. But if you look at other countries outside of that, the opportunities for most women of color is more difficult, except for, I was reading a study, and I want to say it is the Middle East, I forget which country, or countries, that, because very few women have that opportunity, you're seeing so many more women going into STEM and having more opportunity. So it was a really interesting study, and it's the only one I've seen, um, where in the Middle East, they're seeing more women actually um, who have what I want to say, a culture of of us thinking or believing they have less where they're getting more opportunity to grow as STEM professionals. Okay. Um, so like you mentioned the example of the Facebook and how they have different locations. What are you seeing um, as far as the trend with women of color having problems with some of the companies that have multiple locations? Is there a certain region where the problems are prevalent? Like, is it the West Coast? Is it the Midwest? What are you seeing? I would say it's really not by necessarily region as it is by company culture. I can literally tell you there are women, STEM professionals, women of color STEM professionals in Atlanta, Georgia, who are in companies whose cultures are horrible. Mm. They are having a horrible time. Some have actually had to quit before they've had another job in place. Then you can go into other companies in Atlanta and the women of color STEM professionals are having a great career trend. And it really comes down to the culture of that location of what they will experience. Cause it's not like, Oh, I'll just go to Atlanta. Like it may not, it, it really does depend on that company and that company culture. Okay. So, if I were an exec at a company and if I felt that there was a problem, would I call you in to um, help diversify? Or if I were an employee and said, okay, I'm at XYZ company and they're having this issue, do you come in or do you say, you know what, that company has a problem, but I can put you in touch with some, some other companies? Do you, how do you work? So if a company has a diversity and inclusion issue wherein they need to have their management trained, they need to have, and I, when I say their management, I mean their senior management. Middle management doesn't change the culture of the company. It really starts at the top. That type of training I don't do. What I do for companies when they bring me in is I can train the women of color STEM professionals on the actions and steps they can undertake themselves and the things they need to look at when assessing whether or not an employee is good for them, how to go after a role. For instance, women um, oftentimes are less risk, are, are risk adverse, right? They, and that's something that culturally we're taught, right? Don't take risks and don't be boastful. And I absolutely disagree with that. What you'll find is as women who progress in their careers, they take more risk. They see more reward for that risk they take. But also what happens is, those women are generally have sponsors. So when they do fail, they have somebody who's there to protect them. Oftentimes in middle management, when we make it to middle management, we fail, we're automatically blacklisted, right? Like they can't, she can't do the job, but we have nobody advocating for us. 
And you have there is a formula or not a formula, but certain things you need to have in place as you go through and you build your career. So it's really, really important to understand that and and really teach that. And it's something I just fell into because I kept asking people because I knew where I wanted to go with my career. And I'll be at conferences because I worked remote. I worked on the construction side. I didn't work in an office. And I would go to conference after conference conference asking people, how do I get this? How do I do this? And the answer, oh, you should never do that. But I would see men do it. So I would do it, right? (laughs) So it it worked for me. And then I'm talking to my other friends who are frustrated. Like, well, who's your mentor? What does your mentor say? Like, well, I don't have one. I said, well, do you have a sponsor or advocate in the office? Well, what is that? And so, so often we are very ambitious and we have the skills that we have to know how we have the leadership skills. It is the other things that you are not taught, right? That the white men may be given, the Asian men may be given, but we're not given because we don't look like that. We don't remind Bob of when he was 25, when he looks at Ken, right? And we don't remind Bob of when Sally, um, you know, um, Sally reminds him of his daughter, Karen, Right. That's not what we do. And when we have those opportunities to build those connections and we have those sponsors, those mentors, we have a much better chance of progressing further in the organization. We have a much better chance really of going further in industries. And it's, and it's not just an organization, but it's industries as you build those relationships with your sponsors, your advocates, your mentors, as they change jobs. And as you are now interconnected with their, their circle. So it is so much more than just going in and training the employers. I help them find us. But what I really do is focus on the women of color, understanding how to build a strategy for their own career and really having certain things in place that oftentimes we don't know about. Wow. You know, I was one of those women who, like you said, didn't know anything about having a sponsor or a mentor, um, progressed in my career and was always looking to better myself and go to the next level. But I never had a sponsor. I never had a mentor. So for someone like me now, how how would you go about saying to getting a sponsor or a mentor? I mean, is it that you just go up to somebody and say, would you would you mentor me or do you just kind of see a person and their personality and their ethics and decide that, okay, I want to emulate this person. So I'm going to watch this person closely. How do you um, propose that that is done? So if you think you have somebody or, or a few people that you would like to mentor, you do a few things first. You want to interview them and you want them to be, feel comfortable with you. So you can go by their office or their desk and talk to them. You can find out different things about their family life, you know, um, you can just really go to lunch with them and different things. So it, it really means you have to take action and get to know those people and they get to know you. So be a, be willing to, to go out and do different things, whether it's happy hour, if it's going to lunch and really, really just getting to know the person so they're comfortable with you. So it, it really takes some time and some work. Now, as far as a sponsor, we don't we generally don't get to get our own sponsors. We don't get to select our sponsors. But what happens is because we often aren't included in meetings, we aren't um, nobody knows what work we're doing. We people people who go in those meetings who decide who gets laid off, who gets promotions, don't know we exist and they don't know our abilities. So what you then have to do is play a whole other game. And that whole other game is who is making the decision makers. And this is where women can really win at this. As we're building connections with people, genuine connections, especially people overlook admins and receptionists. Let me tell you, those are some of the people who have the most knowledge in an organization. They can tell you when layoffs are coming. Who's, who was talking to who about what department's about to get laid off before any before managers know what's going on, right? So they can also tell you who are the go-to people that can make things happen in the organization. So you happen to find this information out. You may also find out that where this person went to college, how many kids they have, if they're divorced or not, 
what pets they have, different things like that. So you start to get personal information. You find out if they play golf, if they're part of a certain Toastmasters club. These are the things you start to get involved with or so they get to know who you are. Because the one, there's a pro and a con about being a woman of color. You're the only one. But guess what? You are the only one, right? So when they see you, they're going to remember they saw you. And they're like, well, what do you do? And how, well, you've been here eight years? Well, how do I, well, who, who's, so they start asking you questions. They're trying to figure out how they miss the only woman of color that's in this department. And so, so when they see your name on the list, and unfortunately my name is Michelle, <laughs> but fortunately it has one L, which is different. So when your name is on the list, they may say, well, why is she on the list? I've met her. She seems very intelligent. She's worked for the company for eight years. Why? And, but. When they don't know a name, guess what? It is very easy to put you on a layoff list. It is very easy to skip over you for promotion. So you really have to play a different game and you really have to know what those people are doing. I'm not saying you have to go play golf. I don't play golf. Let me tell you what I did. And this really came when I was, I did technical sales before I went into construction. My customer service rep said, Michelle, we do this United, I want to say it was United Way Golf Out, and we sponsor it. And he was like, I was like, I don't play golf. He said, you don't have to play golf. He let me tell you what you do. And he was like, just go serve, go either do the registration table or you go out in the golf cart and serve them beer. He said, they will remember you. He said, that's all you have to do. And to this day, registration is always the most painful, but it's also where people remember you. And anytime you handed them a cold beer when they've been out of the golf course, it works every single time. But there are other ways to get to know them and get to know people so you build a rapport with them. So there are always little ways to get in to meet the decision makers so that you then have a sponsor. Um, And so they recognize you by name, by face, and you have a better chance in that organization. Wow. So basically being, having a plan, being intentional, like you said, talking to the secretaries and the admins, because I, I do know that for a fact that the, the secretary, they are the gatekeepers. So they know everything. And, you know, like you, well, I actually play golf. And one of the reasons why is because I was like, well, not many women do. And of course, not many women of color do. So years ago, I learned how to play golf. Now I'm not saying I'm, LPG ready, but I play, and every year I play in a uh, charity tournament, which, like you say, people remember me. Now, like I said, I may not be the best thing on uh, on the you know course. I'm not the worst, but it's something that I did to get out so that people would see me and know me and know my name. So you have to be intentional, like you said, on the things that you do, who you talk to, um, the things that you learn about the people to get you to get your name recognized on the list. And so when people see you walking down the hall, they see your face and they go, oh, you know, yeah, that's Trina. So that is one of the things that's very important. When did you learn all of this? You know, I didn't realize, I knew that I was playing a different game until about 2014, 2015. Um, probably 2014. And that's when I was talking to more and more of my friends because it's 10 years into our career and they are hitting walls. They aren't getting the progression they're seeing as their male counterparts. And so they're like, well, how are you getting this? And, 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 it's, and it's the great, and we're coming out the great recession, right? Literally, so many of my engineering friends and coworkers got laid off, but I kept working. And it's like, well, how did you keep a job? I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, God is good, you know, and I, you know, I'm, I'm one of five children out of the five of us. I was the one, I was the only one that kept working Two of them was in healthcare, like really healthcare laying off too. So it was really interesting to, to sit there and really sit down and see what I had done differently that had worked for me that my friends and counterparts weren't doing. Um, it was to the point where, and I remember this was 2010, 2011, I was working on a project and I'm in our client's facility in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I went to the VP and I asked him to mentor all the junior level people. And he said he would do it. And we did calls for like 
eight or 10 weeks. And literally all he did was get on a call and teach us how to read a contract, a, a thousand page contract and break it apart. Like, this is what you look for. This is what terms and conditions are. Um, this is what limited liability is and really teaching us to structure. The other guys didn't necessarily understand what I had done for them, except for maybe one out of about eight of us. But somebody's like, well, why would you include them? Why don't you? I said, let me tell you, building relationships is not a, just about upper management. It's about every level of the organization. I said, so you don't want to alienate yourself any further, but you want to make sure that you show I'm a team player and I got the VP to do something that you never even thought about getting him to do. So, cause he, he was, he was in Texas. So he would literally call in and we do a conference call and, and have him go through everything with us. So it was really, really interesting that he took the time out to do that. But he was also, that particular VP ended up being my sponsor. And that's how I went from working all the way through. I had two, two sponsors. I don't understand why they sponsored me. Cause I can tell you right now, one of my told off via email with the client on it. And <laughs> a couple years before, and the other one, um, let's just say I don't like a lot of people. And I definitely didn't like this other guy that was my sponsor. And the only reason I found out that he sponsored me, my, my manager back in 2010 was like, well, such and such and such and such spoke so highly of you. And I was like, those two people? But he valued their opinion. So when it came to that project, he didn't know me, but as a name and a resume on the piece of paper. So he said, okay, well, you're on my team or whatever. Okay, cool. And then the VP got to know me over time on that particular project. So when that project was done in 2014, he had another project. No, that project was done in 2013. He had another project for me to go in 2014. We were still laying off left and right, but I still was going with him. Well, when that particular VP went out on medical, guess what happened? I got let go. So somebody always has to be in that room. At one point in time, I had two people. The one that I had who was a VP got let go. So it was really going through like, what, what did I do differently that others weren't doing? Um, and I took on a lot of risk. I stayed on the construction site my entire career. I managed union crews. I managed non-union crews. I talked to clients, lawyers. I was in doing stuff people never would think I would do. And you have to take those risks. Was I always successful? No. But I also had mentors that I had picked up along the way, internal to the organization that I readily stayed connected to. Um, so it's really, really important. Even one of my mentors, I remember this, I hadn't heard from him in a while. And I called the office, called his office phone. And um, I got a voicemail. So I left a message. He calls me back like two or three weeks later. He said, yeah, I've been out on furlough. They don't have any work for me. So they're probably going to lay me off. I said, well, do you want to get on the project I'm on? So mentoring doesn't work just one way. The mentor feeding into the mentee. And he was like, yeah, can you get me on that project? I said, let me talk to somebody. So I talked to my senior project manager who talked to the director and said, and the feedback was tell him he had the spot such and such and be in contact with him. So I called him. He's like, thank you very much. So he ends up on the same project I'm on. Then when I was being let go, he was like, hey, I'll see if I can get you a spot on this project. I was like, dude, I'm not, I knew who ran that project. I was like, I don't want to come work for that man. Mm-hmm. So it, it it can work in so many different ways. Now, at this point, I met my mentor in 06. This was 2017. And I was like, I don't want that particular role. And building relationships, even um, somebody else internal to organization, he was like, Michelle, I don't want you to leave. I don't want, he's like, we already don't have enough diversity in here. You're going to leave me here with all these old white men. <laughs> and I was like, he was like, I can get you a position, but it won't be an engineering role. I was like, dude, I'm not taking it. I said, I, you know, it's all, it's, you have to make that line. Like, why am I going to take something else? And you see mediocrity is being accepted, but I didn't have a sponsor. So I had a mentor who could get me on somewhere, but I knew how, who I had to, who, who, who we would report to. And I didn't want to work. I didn't want to be in that hostile environment because this particular director, 
people are already going to HR because literally he would have them working the two or three in the morning and expecting them to be back for the seven for a seven a.m. call. I said, I'm not. I'm not about that life. I said, I'm not working for him. So you have to understand the culture, and you have to understand the importance of building relationships at every level in that in an organization because. I could still probably be there, but I just was like, you know what? It's enough. I've done enough. I've seen enough. I know enough and I know how to play the game. And I want to share this with other women of color. Well, that, I mean, what you did with the, the VP and having a mentor, that was brilliant. How he came in and every week was teaching you guys how to read contracts. That's something that he wouldn't have thought about if you hadn't approached him. And when you did that, I mean, did you know what you were doing when you were doing it? Or did you just just have an instinct where you said, I'm going to ask him this? It was, it was, it's always trial and error. You know, instead, we always like, let me try this and see how it works out. What was the worst that he was going to say? No, I don't have time. Um, then the, the next best thing that happened, I can refer you to somebody else. But this particular VP, I anticipated he would say yes. He was all about leadership. And this, and, and there's a difference. If you don't know the difference between a leader and a manager, Google it. So we, he would literally get on a conference call because our team was spread out at that time, four states. And he would do a conference call with the entire team. And he would get on a call. I can remember these two distinct calls. He was like, the client is not happy with what's going on. Honestly, I didn't do something correct. So now I have to go back and give them what they need. So I'll be calling many of you for different types of information so I can make sure I get it right this time. That was call one. Call two, he goes, team, the client is so happy with everything you've done. They love the work that you're doing. They love the progress. They absolutely are enjoying everything we're doing for them. This is on a billion dollar construction project. Keep doing what you're doing. They're extremely happy. Now, if you, that's a leader, a manager, like you did this wrong, you screwed up. I told, told the client it was your fault. That's a manager. So did I expect the VP to tell me no? None whatsoever. I, d- I knew at the very least, he said, I can't do it right now, but he would have committed to 30, 60, or 90 days in the future. He would not, because his true thing was all about leadership. Um, it was always about creating a support system and a culture. And I, and, I, and I can tell you this too. I was driving from, I had a project in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I was driving to Tulsa, Oklahoma, 30 minutes outside of Tulsa, Oklahoma, a hydroplane and totaled out my vehicle. This man drove a company vehicle from Austin, Texas to Tulsa, Oklahoma, just to make sure I had a vehicle to drive. He didn't have it shipped. He didn't tell somebody junior to drive it. He drove it himself. So when you're trying to distinguish the difference between who you really want to be your sponsor and your mentor there are certain characteristics and actions these people will undertake. And that is how I knew he would do it because his previous actions had already shown that he was about building up people because he valued what people bring and not the dollar and not a status. That is, that is so spot on. And it's funny because I was talking to someone a couple of days ago because I'm an officer in the Navy and I've been in the military 28, almost 29 years. So I am big on leadership. And I'm always saying there's a difference between a leader and there's a difference between a manager. As you said, managers, they're concerned with the bottom line. Uh, A leader, they're concerned about the people and they want to give the people what they need to thrive, but then yet they're going to do what they have to do to make that happen. They're not just sitting back, walking on someone's neck to get their next step. They're they're making it a team effort. So it's so important what you just said, that piece, because I think in, especially in corporate America, we have a lot of managers and not a lot of leaders. So you find, and I've I've found, and I'm pretty sure you've seen it, you see a a culture of the people that they have in the clicks, because of course you have certain managers that like certain employees that 
they know they can groom and, and mold the way that they want. So then that gets passed on as a cycle. And then when people like us, women of color and STEM that may have the qualifications, but because we don't um, fit the mold, we're overlooked. So if that is so important, what you just said, as far as knowing who you're working for, what their bottom line is, and whether they really are into people and not just, okay, well, I want the set, I want the metric, and that's it. Because, you know, you don't want to work for someone like that. And believe me, I have worked for many people like that. I can, I can count how many good leaders I've worked for on one hand, but the bad, yes. the bad, you know, managers have been, you know, infinite. So that yeah. is, I mean, yes, I, I totally agree. Um, so let's switch gears a little bit. I mean, that was all good stuff. Now, I see also you're a speaker. So yes. tell me about that, because that's also my passion as far as with the podcast and speaking. Those are things I love to do. And like I said, an officer in the Navy, so leadership. So all of those things are kind of my passion. So when I saw what you're doing, I was like, oh, that's, you know, we're kind of kindred spirits there. We're doing some of the same things. So tell me about your speaking. So I speak primarily in two different ways. So um, everybody always wants me to speak to children. I actually don't focus on children because there is so much work being done on that part of getting so many young people, um, children of color in STEM. I focus really on educating employers and, and helping the experienced women of color STEM professional understand. So when I'm speaking to the women of color STEM professionals, again, it is about the things they can do to push their career. For instance, I did a speech um, October. Yeah, it was October uh, for black and brown founders talking to tech professionals and really focusing on the, the job does not have to be posted for you to be hired. If you know an employer has a problem that you know how to solve, find the hiring manager over that department, that director say, hey, I hear you don't know how to do X, Y, and Z. Have you looked at this? Because I've solved it this way. I guarantee you they will email, call you, check your LinkedIn to see who you are. They will find, even if, the, so let's say the job is posted and they said, oh, well, I can't take the job for that. I need $30,000 more. They will say, I will find the money for you. Because when people have a problem that they need to be solved, they will find a way. For instance, if your car breaks down today and you have a 50 mile commute to work, you're going to find the money to pay the mechanic. Mm -hmm. It is the same thing. When you when they have a true problem, they will pay you your worth and then some and hire you without a job being posted. And you're like, Michelle, how do you know they have a problem? If you're looking in your industry um, blogs, magazines, trades, you're going to trade shows and events, listen to the speakers. And start asking them, well, how did you figure that? Well, we, we never really figured that part of the experiment out or the process. We just have a workaround. Oh, really? What's your workaround? How much does that cost you? How long does it take you? How many people? And you already know a solution that you're probably 70% sure it'll work. That's all you have to do. Pay attention and start Googling the stuff you're really good at. But let me tell you the truth. I even have to tell women to how to figure out what they're really good at. Because a lot of times, a lot of things are innate to us. We think the people around us know how to do them. No, everybody at work is coming to you, Trina, to do certain things because nobody else knows how to do it. And you think everybody else knows how to do it, or you just have to do it quickest, or you just say yes the most. It's not that. You're the, you're the go-to person. And you have to learn how to leverage all of that to really grow your career. So that is what I teach women of color STEM professionals. For employers, they're trying to figure out, okay, well, we bring them in young, but they leave. And, I, and, and I'm like, okay, well, who looks like them that's middle and upper management? And they're like, well, well, what do you, well, such and such has been here 12 years. I said, and what's their role? Well, they're an engineer three. And they've been there for 12 years at an engineer three. And you want somebody to stay there for five years to be an engineer too? One, that's your problem. And so the so they're sitting there thinking, well, they have somebody who's in a similar role that looks like them that have been there for too long in the same role and not making a career progression. 
you will continue to have turnover because they know the opportunity for them to advance in their career is limited there. Mm -hmm. They are not willing to spend that time. So until you make those changes internally, you have to move on. Um, You have to make those changes or they're going to move on rather. So it takes those hard discussions and doing it in a, in a, a presentation that's nice. It says, you know, how we like to communicate, how it culture is important to us because relocating somebody to certain cities and states, they not really going to feel welcome. Right. So having those, those ideas and um, understand why, I, you know, they can't understand why somebody moved to Nebraska. Everybody else had a good time in Nebraska. Everybody didn't look like them. So it's really important to have those discussions with those employers and really pinpoint, well, how did they get their hair done? And they're, they're, they, they never even thought about, well, how does that choir in that church, what, how do they sing this song in that church? Is there, a, maybe they go to a mosque. You haven't even thought about it. They can't even worship the way they worship now. They're going to say no, and you're going to see that turnover. So really having those discussions in a way that is feasible and easier for employers to understand understand is what I speak on on the other side of that. That's that's really key. It's like you said, knowing your your people and having someone to relocate because yeah, if you're gonna relocate someone and their quality of life can't be the same, they're not going to relocate no matter how much you pay them or how good the job is. And that's something that I have found in the Navy, particular over the course of my career is, you know, you would go on bases and you wouldn't be able to find black hair care products. And it was like, well, how is that possible? And until people started saying, okay, this is a base exchange and you have people of all colors, but yet you don't have anything for us, it's not right. So they slowly started transitioning and then you started seeing the black hair care products now you know black people can wear their hair natural they can put them in braids of course they have to conform to regulations but whereas before it was like you couldn't do that well the military started getting smart and saying well we can't be that military anymore because we want to retain people as you were saying and we have to make the quality of life feasible for people to want to stay in So my next question for you is, with you working with women of color in STEM, and and I want to dispel this because a lot of people think when you say women of color, they only think black. There's other women of color. In STEM, what what are the other women of color that you're seeing? And is it um, big numbers or is it small numbers? What are you seeing? Um, I'm seeing smaller numbers of Latinas, although we're seeing more of them come into STEM, they're still are smaller in number. Um, indigenous people are very small in numbers. Um, and then we see a larger number of Asian women. And, and with that, you would think they're getting the m- most opportunity. But if you still see, look in organizations, they aren't. And it's really interesting because what you'll find is people automatically say, oh, you're Asian, you're smart, you're good at math. And so, but they would tell, also think they're mild mannered, so they can't lead. So they will stay employed, but they will never, they still won't get leadership opportunities. So it's, so they're frustrated too. And, and it's really interesting because they're looking, we're looking at each other differently. Well, you have a better opportunity than me. And I have, and it's really, we all about treated about the same to a certain degree. Asian women make more than white women. Yes. Um, then um, African-American women come below the average pay, um, equal pay for for women, then uh, Latina women and then indigenous women. So we see it play out over different levels. And although we're talking about equal pay for all women and we know there are different classifications of jobs that pay different salaries. But what you find out is still the same within STEM. We still see a pay gap within STEM and it hasn't changed. So, so yeah, so the women of color, everybody, all of us are impacted in different ways. Uh, Asian women come out better and that's still based on biases. 
because I can, I know several Asian women who can tell you I hate math. I'm horrible at math, <laughs> but they love tech gadgets, right? Right. So, so the assumption is, is one thing. Um, they see African American women or Latino women. Oh, you're going to be feisty or angry. And if they see indigenous, they just confuse. Right. They're like, yeah, like, uh, what, or they'll literally people just, well, what are you exactly? Mm-hmm. And they're like, really? Well, and, and so we have these conversations. Um, Twitter is a great place to have these conversations and have the dialogue about what we encounter. And a lot of the conversations I have, especially about women of color, not just in the U.S., but globally is on Twitter and what they're seeing and they're encountering um, and how it is very similar, if not the same, in all those countries. Wow. And it's funny how biases really play a part in that. Like you were saying, everybody thinks the Asian people are smarter and the Black and Latinos are going to be um, feisty. And one of the things that's funny that I noticed when I was working at the power company, being a programmer, there was me, another Black woman, and an Asian woman. We were in an Indian woman. We were the four women of color that were programming out of a sea of white men. And it was funny because, yeah, speaking to the Asian, you know, we would talk and she was like, oh God, I hate writing. You know, this is like the worst, you know, I don't like writing. I don't want to write technical manuals. Um, and we just had our all, you know, our own little stories. Like you were saying, we were all going through the same thing. And the manager, it's funny, who hired me into that position, who later I had to go to HR on for basically uh, harassment and uh, hostile work environment. It was funny because he says, um, oh, well, in an interview, he was looking at my resume. And of course, I have all the, you know, experience and everything. He said, well, this, this college, was, I, I, I'll have to check to see if it's accredited. Well, I went to an HBCU. Alabama A&M and I'm like yeah it is accredited so I just kind of looked at him and I was like why would you say that but I said okay fine and later on as I worked at that job because I was at that company for 11 years and that manager went on to manage another section but the other black woman who was in the group with me we got to talking one day and just out of the clear blue she mentioned that episode and she said yeah she said he came over to me and asked me to do some background checking to see if this was a real university. And she said, she looked at him and said, yes, it's real because I went there. And I just started laughing. She said, yes. She said, I graduated from that same university. She said, then he just started stuttering. And I was like, why would he think that the university I went to wasn't real, but, you know, anyone else, wherever they decided to go, and she said she asked him then he was like, well, I, I've never heard of that before. She said, well, that doesn't mean that it's not a real accredited university. So I just thought that was funny because here I am showing up with a computer science degree and several years of experience. But he wanted to challenge where I went to school. You know, so it's, and, and it's funny, just the kind of biases that we encounter. And I, I got the privilege to sit in on a seminar that Nellie Galan um, was speaking at um, in October. And it was funny because she was kind of, you know, reaching out to her Latino sisters and she was saying, you know, we got to get like the black women because, you know, the black women have been out there, you know, speaking up for themselves and doing things. And we need to get on that train as well. And we need to support the black woman because we're all in this together. And it's funny because we are. You know, regardless of what color we may be, we're having some of the same issues. And yes. that's something that should not be happening, especially when you are you have women that have engineering degrees, computer science degrees, and that are working just as long and hard and maybe smarter than their male counterparts. But yet we're overlooked and ignored. Yes. Time and time again, it's, it is bewildering. I, I remember being at um, a summit, a tech summit, and a Fortune 100 company rep talked about how they went to a recruiter, an external recruiting firm they had, and said, hey, we want you to find people of color who have computer science degrees, right? 
They came back and said, we couldn't find anybody. And they asked, well, where did you look? They said, Stanford and Harvard, <laughs> Yale. They said, well, did you look at an HBCU? Now, mind you, they're paying them thousands of dollars per person they hired. They said, what is an HBCU? What happens in a lot of these companies and industries is they use the same people and they source from the same places. You cannot come back with diverse candidates if you're going to the least diverse places and say, we're trying. It is like you're trying to do what you, you're going to the pound looking at dogs when you're supposed to be looking at cats. You're not going to find a cat over there. That's not how this works. And, and, I'm, and I told somebody, oftentimes I just tell people, I'm like, are you looking for diverse candidates? It's like, yeah. I, I said, I have this great source for you. They're like, really? I said, only one. I said, only the only one you'll ever need. They said, what? I said, Google. <laughs> I said, you can Google. look. Are you looking for black women engineers? Organizations will pop up. If you're looking for Latina um, women engineers or, or Latinx Latina engineers, society Hispanic professional engineers will pop up. Ship. I said, you aren't even using Google. You know what they often do? They pick up their phone or they mm-hmm. go to their email and they contact the same people in their circle. And I and I go to conference like I do exactly what white guys do. They say, what? I said, I just pick up my phone and go through my email and contact the people I know. They just happen not to have they just happen to have melanin. I, I said, I don't have a white computer science programmer in my phone. I don't know any. I probably went to college with some. But the ones I know happen to be black. And so they're sitting there like, so I said, I can understand what they do because I do the same thing. I call somebody with melanin. They just happen to have none in their phone. And I said, so we do the same things. I just have the people they can't, they say they can't find in my phone. So it's, wow. it's really, really interesting. We have the same habits. We just have different people in our call, in our call logs, in our, wow. in our phone book. That is, that is funny. Now, when you're going and you're speaking to these corporations, do you actually tell them? Because like you said, they go, you know, we looked at Harvard and Yale. Do you tell these companies, if you're looking for diversity, you need to branch out? You know, the, the Harvards and the Yales, you may not find that black computer science um, graduate. So like you said, they don't value HBCUs. Mm-hmm. Number one, they don't believe they turn out great graduates. That's a whole other discussion. Um, because we know that's false. Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Number two. Number two is what I tell them is you are not building relationships with these HBCUs or these technical professional organizations which have diverse uh, memberships. You aren't even building relationships with them. Even if they have local chapters, you don't even know if they have a local NSBE chapter or anything. You have no relationship with them. I say, so you don't even have to pay relocation if you're building relationships because you can hire locally. But you know what they do? To, they will, instead, they will go to a national conference and put up a booth. They will have long lines. And most of those candidates, you know what they'll do? Uh, well, just sign up here. They aren't really building relationships with people. And we know most of the time how you get in the door to a job is either you know somebody or they recruit from your school. Um, I'm not saying you can't get hired from one of those job fairs. You you can. That's why they still go. But it improves their numbers when they have relationships with organizations and colleges and universities which graduate diverse um, um, college graduates. Number two, number three is what are you doing internally to retain your talent, your diverse talent internally? Because they can tell you stories. I posted last week on Facebook. Um, hey, I, I'm starting to see more and more advertisements with diverse people. I really want to see a picture of what your staff and your clients really look like, because I can guarantee you they don't look like that person on the picture. And people like click, click, you know, they're like, they're kind of like, yep, I've never, Tommy, you noticed, you've seen it too. I'm like, yes, they understand the shift they want to make, but they're doing it through marketing, right? I think somebody, I, I was reading a Medium post today. And it's called optics. You giving me the optics. <laughs> but, but what are you really doing? 
and you're, you're starting at entry level, bringing in people, you have, your culture cannot sustain them, cannot maintain them. And guess what? You run them off. So it's just a cycle of entry level people because you don't create a path and don't create a culture to keep them. So it's, it's, it's those things that I tell employers um, so that they can understand what they're lacking and what they really need to be doing. Oh, yes. I mean, it, it, you hit, I mean, I could talk to you forever on this because I have been down that road as well. And it's funny because I went to, I don't know if you've heard of it, but I went to the Women's Sour Out Food Conference that Bishop P.D. Jakes has every year. And this year he had a master's, master's class. And Nellie Galan was there. He also had Cynthia Marshall, who is the um, CEO of the Dallas Mavericks now. And it was funny because she was talking on the same thing. And she said what she does, um, because, she, of course, she's had all these C-suite jobs. And she's been in, you know, executive management for such a long time. She said what she does to try to get the point across to people is she'll have the, the the male executive and she'll say, okay, at the meeting, everybody um, get up. We're going to all do the Cupid shuffle. And of course they're like, what is the Cupid shuffle? And she's like, oh, well, I'm going to show you. Well, she'll get up and the people of color who know the Cupid shuffle, I'll get up and start doing it. Well, usually the white executive males don't know how to do it. And she'll say, okay, if you don't know how to do it, well, you need to get with somebody so that they can help you learn. And they partner up and they teach them. And she said, and afterwards, she said, there was one guy who was basically almost brought to tears. And he said, no one would dance with me. So I, I still don't know how to do the Cupid Shuffle. And she said, really? She said, yeah. She said, well, that's how people feel of color when, you know, you're not including them in your, you know, business and things like that. And she said, and she could see the light bulb went on in his head. And he said, oh my goodness, really? She said, yeah, that's how it feels to be excluded from things. So just like everyone else had someone and they were teaching them to keep the shuffle and they were doing it and you had to stand up on the wall because nobody wanted to dance with you and you were the only one that didn't learn how to do it. That's how people feel when you exclude them. And I, that was like the greatest takeaway I had ever heard because I said, that is such a simple, but yet profound way to make someone understand. I mean, everybody wants to be able to get on the dance floor. No one wants to be able to, no one wants to be standing on a wall because they don't know a dance that everyone else is doing. So that was a perfect example to make people understand what it feels like when you exclude them. Mm -hmm. I, it is. I really like that. I might have to use that. That's what I say. So that's why I always, I always remember that because I said that is such a good, um, it's just so profound. So Michelle, what I'm going to do is getting close to our time. So what I'm going to do is I wrap up, I'm going to ask you three questions, uh, 10 questions. I'm sorry. And just give me whatever comes to your, your mind. Um, this is no judgment zone. So are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Okay. So who or what motivates you? My nieces and nephews. Okay. What demotivates you? Burnout. Just absolutely just tired. Okay. Um, I would also say what demotivates me. I don't know if it's demotivation, but if I've realized the path that I'm going isn't going to get me the results that I want, or that goal is no longer that important to me, I'm no longer motivated to go after it. Okay. Makes sense. Okay. Um, when was a time that something was said or done to hurt you, but it worked for your good? The first time I went to HR was when a coworker 
and I were in a room together. Of course, nobody else is around. And he says, Michelle, the company will keep you, you're black and a woman. Mind you, I had the smallest team. I had, um, I was out in the construction site. I did not have a four wheel drive vehicle. I had a real wheel drive pickup truck. And trust me, I already been stuck in the mud once. So it really hurt me and pissed me off at the same time because I know how much work I had done. And I went and talked to one of our senior project managers who was a woman, white woman. And she's like, here's the number. This is who you need to call and talk to. The company did a full investigation, found out how dirty the man was, but because everything came out in one investigation, I mean, like he was blackmailing other people, tell them they had to work without getting paid over time um, because they wouldn't help him blackmail to other women that had worked on the project. There was, it, it, it was a lot that came out, but what kept me going was this particular HR rep. She said, Michelle, you will never have to work with this person again. And she kept that word and he ended up leaving the company before I did. So that was to me for once I had faith and trust in HR because we oftentimes don't because they're there to protect the employer and not the employee. But that particular rep actually did work for me. And um, of course she left the company before I did, but at least she was there when I needed her to be. Okay. Um, what is your fear? My fear is not living up to my true potential throughout my life. Okay. Is there a time when you wish you had done something that you didn't? Oh, man. What risk should I have taken that I didn't take? What opportunity, and it always comes back to opportunity or risk I didn't take. And I'm, I, I take every, just by every opportunity. So I'm trying to think of a risk. But I, I would say not going to Egypt on a trip alone. Well, not my friends all backed out, but I still wanted to go. It was still a group trip, but I would not have known anybody. I still should have taken it. I agree. Okay. Is there a time that you wish you had not done something? Yeah, all that chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all have that one. <laughs> um, I would say even things that I didn't like, I've learned and grown and gained something from them. So it would probably be I took this yoga class and threw out my back. That's the one thing I know for sure. I wish I, I wish I had not done. I do know that. Okay. What is your definition of success? Definition of success is not about achieving goals, but truly changing the lives of other people. To me, that is the ultimate success. Okay. How do you recharge? Man, I lo absolutely love going to the beach and listening to the ocean. So having a island vacation and you can pick any island that long as, long as I get ocean view and I can put my feet in the sand, I can recharge. Okay. What are you awesome at? Connecting people. I'm absolutely awesome at connecting people and creating strategies and then executing them. What legacy do you want to leave? The legacy I want to leave is doubling the number of women of color STEM graduates. We're about at um, just under a million. I want a, that legacy to be two million. I want to decrease the number of women of color who lead. Uh, STEM by 50%. So like, right now it's average about 30. I, I'd love to see that go down to 15%. And I would love to increase the number of women of color, um, STEM professionals who are in upper management, not just middle management. So I'm going to say that's about maybe 100 women and having us at 1,000. Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, before we um, wrap up, what is your one 
takeaway that you would leave with the listeners that will inspire them? Change is absolutely possible. It takes work. And that work is truly one action every day and being consistent with it. So don't give up, sit down, take a break, and then get back up and get back to work. All right. Well, Michelle, I thank you for being with me. Um, This was a great interview. I could have stayed on talking to you for a lot longer, but I'm pretty sure we'll keep in contact with each other. But I really thank you for your time. Thank you, Trina. It was great being on. I hope you enjoyed the thought-provoking talk with Michelle Hayward. And if you're a woman listening who has the power to hire, I hope you strongly consider the things that Michelle was saying as you look to diversify your hiring candidates. Michelle can be found on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under her company's name, Positive Hire CO or under Michelle, and that's Michelle with one L, C, Hayward. She also can be found on LinkedIn under Michelle C. Hayward or her company, Positive Hire. If you're looking for a speaker for your live event or conference, go to my website and read my bio and contact me at bit.ly forward slash booktrina. I hope you have a great week. Until then, remember, if you change your mindset, you'll change your life. Keep striving. Success is a journey, not a destination. You can listen to Trina Talk anytime and anywhere. It's available on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, and all other places that you can listen to podcasts. If you like the podcast, please don't forget to go to iTunes to subscribe, rate, review, and share. If you have questions for me or need inspiration on how to go to the next level, tweet me directly at Trina L. Martin.